Okay, so then we're good. The hand still looks good. And then you're gonna put, you're not gonna use, you're not gonna draw the whole length of the bow because then it'll just go out of control. So you're just gonna do like a tiny, like the middle third, like. Pamela is a teacher. She teaches fiddle or violin if you like. Good job. And you'll notice if you press down too hard, you get that crunchy sound. She teaches out of her home on the west side. A medium amount of pressure, because too much will make it really airy and light. I teach children and adults, so everybody. I would say usually I have more kids, um, maybe fourth grade, because that's when people start to learn in the school district. Middle of this fingerboard and that bridge, so like right there. Pamela's been playing violin for years. Until several years ago, she found herself at a workshop in Quebec. So I was studying Quebecois fiddle style, which is what people play in Quebec. It was um, a rural area and kind of maybe geographically in the same parallel with New England, so same climate. Um, and then also during that trip, I visited family in New York and Boston and Burlington. So it's hard to say where it happened, but I remember feeling unwell um, during the time there, so I knew something was not right, but I chose to not pay attention until it got really bad. Pamela didn't know why things were getting bad. She wasn't someone who was used to being sick. I've been a healthy person most of my life. I've been really thankful and kind of took my health for granted, as healthy people tend to do. And I was suddenly bedridden. It was kind of like from night to day, my life changed. And I, um, I used to be a long-distance runner. And I remember coming back from a run and just feeling like I was having a heart attack, like just something wasn't right. And from there, I started to have all these weird things happen, like my muscles wouldn't work and I would have trouble walking and I couldn't like open a door. I would have like severe pain. Um, and then my ears, this was like kind of the thing that really um, tipped it for me was um, I had some hearing issues and that was just really bad with the violin. Like suddenly it was too loud and I couldn't handle it. Kind of like when people talk about bad drug trips, I guess, just like this really neurological strange thing, like the world didn't sound right. And so eventually it just got to the point where I was basically, I had all these weird things going on and then I was just in bed, kind of very flu-like, just so fatigued for a long time. I would say like nine months as I was trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And so I went to a bunch of doctors in Olympia and, you know, people like to tell you what to do when they, you know, people, I think people want to help out of good intention. Um, but I think there's also this kind of, especially in progressive towns, people really wanted me to go gluten-free or like I had some people come forward saying they could heal me in Olympia. Like when I look back on just these things that people were offering that are just really not helpful. And I think I know better now as a sick person to not say those things to people. But at the time I was just like, gosh. So it came out. A year into this kind of mystery disease search, um, I, one of my students is a doctor, and she brought to my attention that I should maybe get tested for Lyme disease because she knew I'd been on the East Coast kind of the summer before this had started to happen. And sure enough, it looks like I got bit by a tick and just didn't know. Um, but when I got my test results back, it was just like lit up like a Christmas tree and like, you know, unequivocally Lyme. Um, and I started Lyme treatment. Early on in her treatment, Pamela wasn't responding to certain medications the way a typical patient would. Her doctor dug a little deeper. She started to really dig into my health history to see why I wasn't responding to certain medications. And so they look at underlying causes and 
for me, that's where she tested my immunoglobulin, immunoglobin, funny, I don't know how to say that, immunoglobin count, um, also known as Ig count, um, to um, see why I was so sick all the time, just catching every little thing and why my immune system, even after all this antibiotic therapy was not working, even though I'd um, recovered my strength and a lot of other things. Um, and it turned out that I had this common variable immunodeficiency illness, which I probably had since birth, but wouldn't have known because who would test that? The National Institute for Health describes common variable immune deficiency as, surprise, a disorder that impairs the immune system. It's rare, like 1 in 25 to 50,000. They say people with the disorder, like Pamela, paraphrasing here, are highly susceptible to bacteria and viruses and that they often develop recurring infections. Pamela is kind of a shut-in during cold and flu season. I stay home in the winter so no one coughs on me. I, I think I've always been kind of a homebody, but now even more so it's kind of out of necessity, so I'm really close with my next-door neighbors. When she gets even a cold that most of us would find just an inconvenience, it can really wreak havoc on her. Her condition means that she relies on her students and the parents of her students to stay at home if they're sick. They know that I'm stricter than most schools are because I think, you know, parents a lot of times don't hesitate to send their kids to school if they have a cold because there's just so many germs everywhere. But they know with me it's, you know, a cold could mean a month or two months of just kind of battling different viruses. Because of her weakened immune system, Pamela's doctor counsels her on which vaccines she can get. I've begged my doctor for a flu shot every year because that's something I would love based on the population I work with. And she's really strongly not wanted me to do that. But in terms of the measles, she was um, all for me getting a measles vaccine if I needed to. It turns out Pamela got the measles vaccine as a kid. That doesn't mean she's totally safe, though. The vaccine is 97% effective. That means that 3% of vaccinated people will still get the measles if exposed to the virus. And this is not a hard virus to be exposed to. It just takes one person with the virus to be in public. Maybe a grocery store, or the airport, anyone passing through the area within two hours can be exposed just from airborne particles. It's a serious illness for anyone, and for people like Pamela, it's especially dangerous. A 28-year-old Clallam County woman died of complications from measles in 2015. Like Pamela, she had a compromised immune system. The recent measles outbreak in Clark County has led Pamela's doctor to warn her that she might have to soon ask some prying questions of her students if there's an outbreak here. It was recommended to me by my doctor that if there was an outbreak to still ask people to stay home if they didn't vaccinate their kids, which means prying a little bit. Um, And so I've thought about how I would phrase that or what I would say. As Pamela explains this, House Bill 1638 is moving through the Washington State Legislature. It would remove the personal exemption from the MMR vaccine requirement for Washington school children. Medical and religious exemptions would still be permitted. Are we mad? No, we're not mad. We are energized. And it's been said, never let a crisis go to waste. It's been one of the more contentious bills in recent memory. Opponents are organized, and they drew hundreds of protesters from multiple states to speak out about the bill. They gathered on the steps of the Capitol. The MMR vaccine, in particular, has a reputation among vaccine opponents. It was falsely linked to a serious side effect 
by a doctor in the UK some 20 years ago. It was later found that data in the doctor's study was manipulated, and that he stood to gain financially by finding the results that he did. He was later stripped of his medical license, but the damage was done. Pamela is generally in favor of vaccines. Absolutely, even though I can't get them personally. The more people vaccinated, especially school children, means that she has a lower chance of becoming seriously ill when an outbreak occurs. That sounds like a big ask to be like the token sick friend that people, you know, use in examples. And I'm not even a good example in that category because someone with leukemia would suffer so much more than I would. But she doesn't want to contribute to the polarized public debate. And she's surprisingly empathetic to the people protesting. I know what it's like to be part of a fringe group that um, is resentful and angry about both the pharmaceutical industry and the Center for Disease Control, um, because that's what it means to have Lyme disease. Um, it's part of this big kind of social political debate. Um, and it's an illness that's poorly researched. If you choose to lobby for better funding for your illness, people look like quacks. I mean, that's what people who have, that's the stigma that comes along with my illness. She's uncomfortable with the sometimes vitriolic language of vaccine advocates on social media. She notes that the most recent measles outbreaks have largely affected immigrant communities, people of color, and marginalized religious groups. These are groups, she says, that may have had bad experiences going to the doctor or just interacting with institutions as an immigrant in general. Pamela gets angry, though, with the manipulation of statistics that vaccine skeptics employ. I took this quiz that said, are you ready for the measles? It was in someone in my larger friend community on Facebook. I checked it out. Each page presents a cherry-picked, often misleading, sometimes outright false piece of information presented in quiz form. There was one that was like, as many people get the measles who've been vaccinated as who haven't been vaccinated. And like that statistic, just seeing the way that's manipulated alone is like, okay. The vast majority of the U.S. population has been vaccinated for the measles. And since the vaccine is only 97% effective, it's not surprising that a lot of the people that get the measles have been vaccinated. But I did check. And the statement also just isn't true. Most of the people that get measles are unvaccinated, according to the CDC. On the steps of the Capitol at that rally, I talked to Susan Serenko to get her take. She's a doctor of naturopathic medicine who made the trip up from Portland with a friend. We got up at 3.30 this morning (laughs) to be here. What do you say to people that uh, say that people that aren't vaccinating are putting other people at risk, like people with compromised immune systems, cancer diagnoses and stuff like that? If vaccinations really worked, then they have no fears. But what about people that can't get vaccinated? The diseases that we're faced with, acute diseases, infectious diseases, are very easy to treat. If we follow the laws of nature, that we take good care of ourselves, and we eat healthy food, drink good water. And if we do get sick, then using hydrotherapy, herbal medicines are very effective in healing. We we don't have a problem with infectious diseases in North America. We have a problem with chronic disease. 
And some, some people would say that we don't have a problem with infectious disease because of vaccines. Well, we, we have in the flu, despite the flu vaccine, we have 25,000 to 35,000 people die every year in America because we just don't take care of ourselves. We want that quick fix. We gotta, we gotta be, we gotta take care of ourselves. Clean water and healthy diet do go a long way to keeping you healthy, and they are great things to do in conjunction with vaccination because no matter how healthy of a diet you eat, you can still be susceptible to a disease that, that comes along. If you're exposed to measles and you're not vaccinated, you have a 90% chance of getting measles, and it doesn't matter what your diet looks like. My name is Danielle Koenig. I am the Immunization Health Promotion Supervisor at the Washington State Department of Health, so I lead a team of health educators here that help teach people about vaccination. House Bill 1638 eventually made it through the Washington State House and Senate. I'm speaking with Daniel Koenig, the day Governor Inslee signed the bill into law. In fact, Koenig has just returned from the bill signing ceremony in Vancouver, Washington. Measles is a very serious and can be deadly disease, especially if you're under five or if you're over 20 years of age. In addition to the uh, possibility of death, it actually can cause swelling of your brain. It can cause you to go deaf. It can cause you to go blind. And it also suppresses your immune system and makes you vulnerable to a bunch of different diseases for several years after you get it. There's also, unfortunately, a very um, serious neurological condition that can result from, measles, from getting measles. And it can, it'll stay dormant in your body for years. And years later, you can come down with that neurological condition. It is 100% fatal, unfortunately. And we did have a boy die in Washington of that condition in 2008 because he got measles at nine months old before he was young, old enough to be vaccinated. Before the measles vaccine was introduced in 1963, four to 500 people in the U.S. died each year of the illness. Thousands more were hospitalized annually, with some suffering permanent damage. Within a few years of the vaccine's introduction, measles cases became relatively rare. Today, measles cases are becoming more common, though. With this year not even half over, there have been more reported cases in the U.S. than any year since 1994. We really want to encourage everyone to make sure that you're up to date on your vaccines. Even if you feel you're, you yourself are not at risk, there are people around you who are at risk. You could run into somebody at the grocery store who maybe doesn't have a spleen or is going through cancer treatment, and they're really vulnerable. And if you can keep the disease from reaching them, you have helped protect and save another life. There's no shortage of information about vaccines online. But Koenig says, be careful. There are quite a lot of myths out there. And um, what we can suggest to people is make sure that when you are trying to learn about um, vaccines, the best place to, to go is to your nurse, your doctor, your clinic, and ask the questions there. They have um, the training that they need to answer your questions. Um, and also make sure that you're looking at credible sources online. Um, our website, doh.wa.gov, has some really good information on um, that, uh, immunizations, but it also links you to some guidebooks and things like that on how to figure out if other information that you're looking at about vaccines may be accurate or may be sensationalistic. But the, the core to remember is that vaccines are very safe and effective, and um, millions and millions of babies get vaccines in the United States every year with very few adverse effects, and um, most parents do choose vaccination for their kids. This is a point that Koenig makes more than once. Way more people choose to vaccinate. There are so many voices out there talking about non-vaccination um, that we forget that's a very, very small percentage of the population. And most people do vaccinate, but they're just not talking about it. She says it's helpful if those of us that choose to vaccinate are more vocal about it. The more people talk about it, the more you can realize that it is the norm to vaccinate. Sometimes I post on my own social media why I choose to get my flu shot every year or post a picture of my 
um, husband's re- he, my husband lost his records, and so he had to go recently get an MMR for his college. And so, you know, I snapped a picture of his Band-Aid, even though he wasn't super thrilled about that. Note that she's not advocating shaming people on social media that don't vaccinate. She says at the Department of Health, they don't see any positive value in that. She's personally opposed to it as well. This reminds me of something Pamela said about the term anti-vaxxer. I think calling someone an anti-vaxxer is a really, really strong kind of hate-filled term. And I never thought about that before because my friend group and community tends to bear on the side of pro-vaccines. But now that I'm seeing these debates online, I really feel like calling someone an anti-vaxxer is like calling someone a fascist just because you don't like them. Like, I wouldn't do that. And so, but I I, I think it's also um, problematic to use that term because... Um, there's actually been a lot of research about people's changing their minds over time in regard to vaccines and why people are hesitant to vaccine. And according to the definition of those studies, anti-vaxxer really only fits like the 1% to 3% of the population who doesn't change their mind, and that most people are more elastic. And even if they're vaccine hesitant, they're willing to receive information. And I've seen that in my friend community as well, where people either didn't realize the risk about not vaccinating or they just didn't get around to it and then they learn about how serious it is or maybe they have a friend or family member who's sick and then they will go and vaccinate or vaccinate their child. And I think um, using that term anti-vaxxer is kind of putting someone into a box that no one wants to be put into. Thanks to everyone that talked to me for this episode. Music today by Pottington Bear. Pamela's website is olyfiddle.com, where she posts upcoming classes, events, and videos. At welcometoolympia.com, you can check sources and find a link to the Department of Health resource that Daniel Koenig mentioned. Ending theme music is by Skrill Meadow. Skrillmeadow.bandcamp.com. This weekend's Capital City Marathon is the 35th anniversary of the qualifying race for the first ever women's Olympic marathon event. Joan Benoit took first place on the streets of Olympia here in 1984. She went on to win gold at the 84 Olympics. Joan's in town this weekend for the anniversary. Welcome back to Olympia, Joan. I'm Rob Smith.